0: Welcome to the Your Data Driven Podcast. If you like this podcast, be sure to visit our website at yourdatadriven.com for more useful help and advice on setting up your race car, mastering data analysis, and driving faster. Welcome to episode 27. Welcome to part two with your gay Segers. works as a racing data engineer for another top pro teams, including a team running ex-F1 driver Alex Albon in the Ferrari in this year's DTM. If you've not had a chance, make sure you listen to part one. When we left off, your was just about to tell us about working with drivers. So let's get into it. So tell me about working with drivers, have you done much with drivers? What are they looking for in their data? Because a lot of the time we're talking about trying to break the corner down into phases and then looking at, say, corner entry, corner exit, and then mid-corner events. But there's often a number of corners all the way around. So how are you working with drivers so that they can go back on track with a better plan of what's going to
1: work? There are different ranges or types of of drivers you have drivers where which don't like to look at data and when you try to pull them to you uh, they you have a very small window where you can try to to push something in yeah so you have to be you have to be quick and and make sure that you push the right thing in what what kind of thing would you look for so let's
0: just take that because that's a really good example i think so what's the situation is this so the, the cars come in and you've done your prep ahead of time. So you, your laptop and everything's all set up. So all you need is that session of data to come in. And you're going to press go and all the charts and everything are there, ready for you, for all the different things you wanted to look at. Where, What is it that you would prioritize? Would you Are you looking for a consistency? Are you looking for particular features in the data? What is it that someone listening to the show, they could think, well, actually, yeah, I will start. I should start with that myself that's a really good place to start what would you recommend people would just if we only have that narrow window of a couple of minutes and you've got one two things to say to the driver before they lose
1: their attention once you or when you have only when you are in a session for example a qualifying session and you you have two runs in that session you have a very small window of a couple of minutes where you can instruct the driver to do something differently you don't have a lot of time available to look at consistency most of the time the driver will only have done also a couple of laps so there's no there is no consistency because i yeah, only did one qualifying one or two qualifying laps so then you just put the quickest lap you have on a reference, which can be another driver or a lap that that he did in a previous session or from another event on the same track. And you just look at the time delta channel and you try to figure out where is the biggest time difference coming from and try to, to focus on one or two areas where he's losing the most of the time and then it's a discussion it's uh you have to talk to the driver look this is what i see you are losing uh time on the braking on on corner entry on traction wherever and i see that you're braking earlier or you're not braking hard enough and then the driver very often comes with an argument yes but i don't have the deceleration in the in the car i cannot brake that late that's so then it's maybe maybe he needs to shift the the brake balance forward or rearward, or you need to make a change to the setup that can help him. Maybe you can give him a little bit more rear wing to to help him under under the braking. So it's it's not only the driving that you need to to look at quickly. Then sometimes you also see okay, I I have here a, a, your reference lap. This driver is taking a different apex in that corner, uh, or he's using more track or 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 things like that in that very short time frame you just look at where is the biggest time difference coming from and then you try to discuss with the driver what is his idea about this where is this time difference coming from and then you need to make a quick decision or you, you push him further you say okay i want you to do this i want you to approach this corner differently or you need to take a decision on the technical side and try to do something on the car that that could help him that's that that's one thing if you have then. After the session, if you have more time, then consistency becomes important because then you need to figure out if this problem that you saw in this one lap is something which is coming back every time. Uh, If it's a fundamental problem in his driving or again in the cars, maybe there's uh, something limiting the driver to, to be able to do this. Like I said earlier, you can do with statistics, you can figure out for a specific corner, this is the driving line that's quick. That gives you the the quickest sector time in in that corner but it can well be that your driver after a session comes to you and said look jorge i'm sorry but the car does not want to go where you want me to go and and this is the yeah the relationship between a driver and an engineer the driver needs to understand what you try to ask from him but you also need to understand what he is asking from the car what does he need to in 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 order to, to be able to do that. And then after a session, when you have more time, then again, you have metrics which are being produced. You can look at multiple laps on top of each other, etc. Then you have a larger tool chain available in order to find out what's going on and what can I do to help him.
0: Yeah, so there's a, there's a whole mixture there between almost factually accurate this is what's happened. And the reason why that has happened is because of this. And then there's a sort of the human side, which is a mixture of confidence and belief. So the driver has to have confidence and they also have to believe that what you're saying is actual, aligns with their own understanding of when they're out and doing something. So, yeah, so if you can, if it's a, I guess if it's a more of a confidence thing, you might look at more of the car. And if it's more of a alignment of beliefs and that's a more of a conversation to try and persuade the driver that perhaps they might want to give that that other your suggestion a go thing
1: yeah it, it, sometimes it's really tricky yeah. because sometimes you have to criticize the driver you have to tell him that he's doing something wrong that's there's also a reason why it's very often easier to work with professional drivers than it is to to work with gentlemen drivers with professional drivers it's often a lot easier to to get a discussion started say look you are too slow in this corner this is where you are losing the time where is it coming from and then you can start a discussion okay it's maybe driving line or it's a approach to the corner or it's something in the car which limits the driver from from performing in that way with with gentleman drivers yeah, it's often very obvious why a driver is losing time but then you have to find a way to to communicate that, and it's I think it's a little a little bit too simplistic to tell a driver, for example, I want you to brake 150 meters later. I think then in that case you have to 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 put yourself a little bit in his place. What happens very often when when a driver is braking too early for a corner is that he's He's, he's losing too much speed early on in the cornering phase, and he comes to the apex at a too low speed. At that point, he realizes it and he starts to 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 push the throttle. But then you have understeer, and the the, the car does not accept. That amount of throttle at that time because you are in the mid-corner phase. So then the driver comes in. He says, "I I cannot go to throttle to the throttle. I I have too much understeer in the car. You need to change something on the setup because the car is not good." But the problem is coming already from the braking. So in that case, sometimes you can try to push the driver in a way. Look, I want you to try and brake later, and he can go out and. In order to feel if he's doing well, you have to tell him. Look, if you can hit the throttle and go fluently from zero to 100% on corner exit, then you're pretty sure that your breaking wa- breaking point was correct. As long as you have to, as you want to go on the throttle and you have to lift again, you break too early or you lost too much speed on, on on corner entry. And that way, you can send them out for 10 or 20 laps and have him experiment he will feel when he's finally able to fluently go on the throttle again
0: do you ever get a situation where the driver comes in and says they're quite honest and say like i know or i feel i really feel as if i'm losing time in this corner
1: what what should i do yeah this happens for sure this happens and then thank god you have data so
0: this is the point yeah this is the point so the people with if we go back to earlier in the conversation about the sceptics around this is all for the nerds and I don't want to bother. I've got time to look at a laptop, but at the end of the time, at the end of the day, you're trying to you're trying to do the best performance you can, and it may you may not be racing. You may even you may be just doing a track day event or some other event, but you your measure of success is your lap time in some respect, yeah. and you, you just want to say, or, or at least you want to have that that feeling of achievement that you want to progress. As a driver yeah. and, or as a team, you want to be moving up the grid or you want to be improving your lap time. And I think it takes, personally, I think it takes quite a lot of uh, a good relationship in the team to be able to, for the driver to come in and say, I'm feeling nervous around that corner or I just don't know what to do. Because that's admitting a kind of, rather yeah, than when you get the car. Kind of the and, weak, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so what would you look at? What would you look at if they, if they came in and said to that? Would you, is it the breaking point? Is it this understeer? measure what kind of things would you look at to help them
1: i would look first of all on on, the way he enters the corner i think the the performance throughout a corner it's determined for the biggest part it's it's determined in corner entry so what you do from the moment you hit the brakes until you get the car on the inside curb at the apex this is where most of the performance is created it's like,
0: Everything after that is connected, isn't it? You can't. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, whatever you've done on the inside, you're dealing it's with by like, the time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like playing darts. The moment the dart leaves your hand, it's done. You don't have any control anymore. That's the same thing with approaching a corner with a race car at the limit of the tire grip. Corner entry is where it happens. So, it's you look at the way, first of all, where a driver brakes, how hard he brakes, and how quickly he, he uh, builds up uh, the pressure. And then, very important is how he comes off this brake pedal. How does he modulate the speed? The end of his braking. Yes, yes. Where is the driver able to come off the or to release the brake pressure in, into the corner? These are, this is, I think, one of the most important items to look at when you are looking at single corner performance. And there again, it can, you can do that by looking at the data of one corner specific. But you can also create a lot of metrics that tell you something about how aggressive is the driver on the brakes or how smooth is he coming off the brakes what is the minimum cornering speed what is the the deceleration on the braking and you can split that up on, in straight line braking in trail braking how much is the driver asking from the tire during braking in longitudinal and in lateral direction these are all things that of which you can create quite simple metrics and then you can take a lot of data at the same time and and zoom out and, and and get a much clearer picture you can see if it's a one-off issue or if it's something fundamental and if you have data of different drivers then you can also pinpoint what is the right way to approach a specific
0: yeah absolutely yeah, something like a friction circle type thing yes yeah,
1: yeah. Is, is
0: there any difference between slow corners and fast corners. Yes. I know you have to define what a slow corner and a fast corner is, sorry. Uh, threshold breaking corner and maybe another corner where you've got maybe a combination of S's or something like that, where you don't have to like, not you don't necessarily have to be a, a full threshold break.
1: Yeah, I think from a priority point of view, the slower corners are the most important one, basically because there you are spending most of the time. So if you are losing time, you are losing more time there than you would in a quick corner.
0: It's better I say, so you're not the first professional engineer to say this on this show. And the, I've had a number of comments afterwards. Because in practice, when you're learning and getting up to speed, that there is a lot more practical lap time in the fast corners. So, and I know this doesn't make sense when you're already on the limit and you're looking for opportunities, yeah? But when (laughs) being brave through the fast corners is where, that's the psychology. That's where I've got to focus because they're the faster corners and I've got to go quicker through them and I've got to be flat through that corner or whatever. Yeah. But the interesting thing is every engineer that comes on here says just, just focus on the slow corners because you spend more time in them. It's completely the opposite to any kind of advice you get like in the amateur
1: paddock. Actually, the if you open up your laptop next to a driver and you show him a lap, the, the first corners he's going to look at is, are the quick ones. It's This is it comes naturally, apparently. But yes, simply from a physical point of view, the slower the speed, the, the longer you are in it. I, I do these seminars on, on data acquisition and I have in those, I have one very nice example of, of a hairpin corner. It's in the section about driving lines and it's, a one, it's about a 180 degree corner with a minimum speed of, I think it's around 50 kilometer per hour. So a really low speed corner. And I do a very simple calculation on what happens if you are not able to get the inside wheel on the curb. Let's say you overshoot the corner with uh, one meter, uh, for example. So when you are mid-corner, the the inside wheels are one meter away from from the curb. That means that you have... In that corner, you have traveled one meter more on entry and one meter more on exit, so two two meter in total, compared to when you would have reached that curb on the inside. And it's a very simple calculation because it's the same driving line, but you just offset the corner with, with one meter and we are talking there about tenths of a second i was going to say about half a second or something like three or four tenths yeah that's uh, (laughs) and and this is something that a lot of drivers do not understand when we do a track walk at uh, hockenheim for example we come into turn six every year again we have the same discussion with the drivers when i tell them look you have to Put your inside wheel on the curb. Don't go away from that, that curb. And they say, yeah, but if I go further out, I have a higher speed. That's not true. You have the same driving line. You have the same minimum speed. You're just further away from the curb. So you are covering more distance and you're covering it at a very low speed. So it's costing you a massive amount of, of, of time. Um, and I think
0: that's the key point, isn't it? It's the amount of time at the lower speed Yes. Has a, has a has a... I, I don't know what the relationship is, but it's it's quite a significant effect on lap time more. So from one mile an hour different or one kilometre an hour different in a slow speed corner compared to one mile an hour, one kilometre an hour different in the high speed corner, yes. it, it's disproportionately more weighted on lap time to the slower corner. being more important correct and you know i think that's why you have an ex-formula one driver in your team perhaps for (laughs) this year (laughs) for that reason because his old teammate has a very good reputation for doing the slow corners yeah that's the you know what we hear anyway (laughs) but um so go on then i've got another so switching it slightly differently we're in the last sort of topic to throw in here we're we're in the sort of the weekend and it's been dry all weekend and then all of a sudden the weather changes and it looks like it's going to rain what would you suggest that people do so just to give that some context in the sort of the folklore the paddock folklore uh, that i've experienced is very much to soften the car so we'll disconnect the anti-roll bars we'll wind all the clicks off the dampers we will maybe put some wing on the car if we have wing we might like change the ride height we'll pump the tires up a bit what kind of stuff would you say, in your experience, has been most effective when it
1: starts to rain? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Good question, actually. With I I, I was coincidentally I, I also listened to the podcast you did with uh, with James James. And I was happy with his comments about the wet setups.
0: Uh, James was another one who highlighted the slow corner being more important. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So good to have some confirmation from from that level of motor racing. But to be honest, in my experience as well, I don't really believe in, in rain setups. If you are going to a race event where, okay, it's not going to be dry for the whole day, then for sure you can do some things on the car that that might help you in in wet conditions, but I think in when it's raining the the biggest performance factors on the car are there there are two actually it's first of all it's the tire pressure and secondly it's the brake balance. Those with those two parameters you cover off ninety percent of the the performance of the car in in wet conditions.
0: So just to be sure on the tire pressures, you're pump them up and with the brake balance you move it back
1: the second item yes with the with the brake balance when it starts raining you go back you don't want when you brake the front wheels locking because you have too much brake power on the front axle so you shift that to to the rear axle but on the tire pressure item that depends basically on on how wet it is and that's i think the difficult thing of wet conditions there's an ideal tire pressure for every set of track conditions but when it's wet, the track conditions can change so quickly that ideal pressure window is actually a moving target. I think there's a, there's some general rules that the more water you have on the track, the higher you should go with your tire pressure, basically just to to move the, the water channels in the tire a little bit wider from each other so that you you can evacuate more more water from them. And it has nothing to do with tire temperature at that point. When there's water, when there's standing water on the track, tire temperature is irrelevant. There's, there's nothing, it has no influence on the performance. Very often people ask me that, yeah, should we heat the, the, the rain tires before we are going out? And there, if you are running a tire in full wet conditions, when there's really a lot of water on the track, i would actually heat them but it's just to boost the pressure up a little bit so that you have an even higher pressure going out and this is just a confidence booster for the driver that he has immediately a little bit more more peak grip available when he exits the pit lane but two corners later or half a lap later the the tire temperature will have stabilized to the track temperature you don't have a big benefit uh, of that when you are running a rain tire set in conditions where it starts to dry up then you don't want to heat the tire because you're going to overheat it anyway already. So you try to keep it as low as possible from the beginning. So that's two different objectives. And it's the same with the tire pressure. Like I said, a lot of water on the track, you boost your pressures up. But then there comes a point at which the the track starts to, to dry out and you have to... To decide what do I do now with my tire pressures? Because if it's let let's say you are in in a race and you have to run 45 minutes on a set of tires, what happens in those 45 minutes? So you have to anticipate a lot more. Maybe it starts raining again, and you are going out with too low pressures, and then it's it's that It's uh, it's bad again, a bad situation again. So you're again out of the window. So that's the big difficulty with racing in the rain your operating window for the car is basically a moving target and you only have the brake balance and the tire pressure to point you in a specific direction with that for sure softening or even disconnecting anti-roll bars running softer springs reducing the camber increasing the downforce of the on, on the car it can help but it's it will only have a very small effect compared to when you are running the, the tires out of their operating window, you are lost anyway. You can put whatever setup on the car. It will not help. And actually, it's this is interesting. I do a lot of endurance races where you have sometimes changing weather conditions. And, and what you see very often is that when it starts raining, there are some drivers that are from one point to the other. They are like two or three seconds a lap quicker than others and this is yeah you have for sure you have drivers which are talented in wet conditions which are coping a lot better than others when the grip is is that low but for me this is then a car which really found the sweet spot with the tire pressures and very often you see then when the conditions change then you have another group of drivers which is Improving their performance, whereas the other one, the, the one that was quick before, starts to drop off a little bit in, in performance. So it's really about, yeah, getting hitting the right tire pressure window in wet in conditions. Yeah,
0: it's just not easy, is it? I think that's the summary.
1: It's, <laughs> it's no, this is, I, I hate it. I really hate it when it starts to rain because it's not all science based. You have to guess what's going to happen. Funny story at the moment, it was not that funny, but I did last year, I did the Nürburgring 24 hours and uh, yeah there is a, a lap is more than eight minutes and it was we had bad weather wet and cold weather conditions for the whole race and you can with the regular with the pit stop regulations there if you pit one lap before the other ones then you have a ver- a much shorter pit stop time so it's a way to make a a very big undercut if, if you pit one lap earlier. We had a bad qualifying and we started quite far back. In order to get us, give us some track position, we decided to pit two laps earlier than the maximum stint length in the first stint of the race, which worked from a track position point of view. But the, the problem that brought was that we were always the first, because we were always the first to pit from that point onwards, we were always the first to have to decide on changing track conditions, what to do, what kind of tire we should run, what kind of tire pressures we should run. I and mean, we were always wrong. It was <laughs> we were, it was wet when we were pitting and then two laps later when the other ones were pitting the, the track was dry because it's like almost 20 minutes uh, later. So it's this was a really... Uh, um, frustrating race because we were always the the experiment
0: this is it you're locked in because you can't suddenly extend your stint length
1: no no no.
0: you're locked into the the (laughs) The, the, the
1: 20 minutes that you lost on the first stint you are always behind or you're always that much earlier compared to the other car and we were always the first one that had to make a decision on, on track conditions and the other ones had 20 minutes more to to first of all look at us and secondly to to make their own decisions that was was quite frustrating, to be honest.
0: Look, honestly, uh, this is this has been absolutely fascinating, and it's been even more fun than I was hoping for. It. It's just great to get into this detail, and I'm sure people listening have been able to pick up so much, and hopefully be able to pull some of that back into their own racing and their own track time, and just see or just listening to to how you approach what you do, and also empathise with some of the challenges there isn't a right answer necessarily for everything like rain setup whatever so that will give people a lot of comfort as well i think to have to listen to, to someone like yourself with your experience and to i think to hear that that it is still difficult even when you do have all the tools and the toys and the understanding in them but it is still difficult that's to, that gives people a lot of hope. And then just having two or three things just to start with, little actionable things they can do. So people will go away. They'll think, right, like, okay, I'm not maybe not going to bother worrying about my damper clicks and my roll bar yeah, and everything. Yeah. We'll, just, we'll just try and get the, the brake bias wound back if we can do that. And we'll just try and get these tyre pressures. We'll just play with them. and maybe experiment on a wet yeah. track day and just see yeah, what happens.
1: Yeah, and even in, uh, in, in dry conditions, the tire pressures, they, those are the basic parameters that define your performance window. It's the tire pressures, the brake balance, the tire temperatures, obviously, as well. Right? You have to make sure that you have your is working in the proper window you have a roll stiffness and roll stiffness distribution which if you have four potentiometers on the car it's really easy to calculate that and then you have aero balance you have weight distribution which you can measure statically when you just put your car on the scales so you have some parameters to, to to evaluate if your car is in in its proper window and most of the times that's already 80 percent of the work done yeah. after that it's damper clicks and a flap here or a degree of, of wing there or a millimeter or two of right height that's more fine tuning but you have to make sure that your car is generally in its window
0: yeah that's, and that's a great that's a great point because you do see a lot of people who who, who go and track their car uh, either racing or just on a test or track day, and and visibly you can see that they've not quite got something right with the basics and the, from then on the drivers they just haven't got a chance to be honest they, they they're always fighting something that's inherent in the car because those it's not in what you would say that it is the window wonderful so what are you online where where can people find you and yeah have you do you have a site you know what's your presence online where can people have a look
1: i have a website js minus sign engineering.be so there find some more info on, on what I'm what activities I'm up to and also also find some more information on my book there and any seminars or webinars that I'm doing so all information is there or if you just look me up on, on the regular social media channels like LinkedIn Facebook Instagram I'm there like like most <laughs> of the population
0: that's absolutely fantastic I'll put some links in the show notes perfect yeah. so make sure people can get that but yeah I just want to say thank you very much
1: thank you It was a pleasure,
0: it was an honour to be here. What a great guy, so relaxed and yet so experienced. I really hope you're able to get great tips and advice from this special two-part show. The heartening takeaway for me is that it's great to hear, even at a pro level, they still find this stuff a challenge. Hopefully that gives you some more confidence and comfort that there isn't always a right answer. That in itself is why I think it makes racing so fun. You may know that at the end of Season 1, I wrote the Motorsports Playbook, a summary distilling the first 20 shows into nuggets of wisdom. I made the notes so that you don't have to. If you've not got it yet, go and grab yourself a copy from the website. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and visit us at yourdatadriven.com.